Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Rank Squad, this is Rank FC. It's your favourite football podcast, and my name is Jack Collins. I'll be your host today as we traverse a little bit of the way back through this season, looking at those people who have been shining lights in the darkness in a weird season. The people who have been our heroes. Joining me as ever is our Rank God, Mr. Sam Sai. Hello, mates. Hello, mate. And of course, our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Hello, mate. Hello, boys. How are we? We all good? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's oh, nice and sunny yeah. out, isn't it? So we're happy. The the weather's turned, the Euros are coming, the Copper America's coming. Well, you know, maybe. It's, it's, all, it's all good. Yeah, maybe the Copper America's coming. Very good point. Um, and then look, we're, we're cracking on. And it's nice to look back, I think, at this point. It feels like the opportune moment before everyone goes full into Euros mode to really have one last look back at the season. Obviously, we've seen the Champions League final this weekend. We saw the playoff final. We've seen a lot of football this weekend. That It feels like the end of that domestic campaign, right? The, the, the absolute full stop of, of what's happened club football now we're going to an international summer and then we're going to do it obviously all over again again and again forever until the end of time and um, but that's not the point we're gonna we're gonna be inviting an old friend of the pod zach lowey back on to talk about his heroes of the season to help us guide that sam and i'm looking forward to it yes i am too uh picked zach to do this or or considered Zach, uh, for this particular assignment, because Zach seems to watch everything, absolutely everything, even perhaps even more than us, um, and really gets himself involved in all the different nitty gritty of the storylines of the season and seems to have a really good eye on a lot of different things that maybe we wouldn't necessarily catch. So always good to get some fresh perspective. I thought Zach was the perfect guy to tell that tale. Actually, thinking about it right now, I think someone on Twitter asked me to do it, and that's why I did it. I just think I'd lied to you for 30 seconds there, and I was just a suggestion <laughs> from someone on Twitter. But in my mind, you know, it was always... It all I ended think, up. I think I was there. I just needed the push. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Right, Dean, we're going to do things we love, and the transfer season is rolling up, so I'm just going to assume your things you love forever now are going to be transfer-based, at least for the you know foreseeable future. Yeah, at least for a couple of weeks. Um... Well, the thing I'm loving actually is Romelu Lukaku and the fact that he's turned around his reputation and the people who were throwing mud at his name when he was at Man United are finally um, getting their comeuppance here because Lukaku's gone to Inter Milan from Man United. He's had a 30-goal season. He's won the league. And now he's basically wanted by Manchester City and Chelsea, the Premier League champions and the Champions League winners both want to sign this man who was considered an absolute flop at Man United. By some people. By some people. We were told he didn't have a first touch, that he was lazy, he was slow, he couldn't finish. And none of it's true, to be honest. Um, It was just... Players just get into a, a situation, I think, and where they lose confidence you start to analyse them and the narrative starts to become true because you start to just look at them in a certain way. When you lose confidence, obviously your touch isn't as tight as it would be and your finishing isn't as good. And he's gone away and, well, he's proved himself to be 
the elite player that do you remember Joanna Kamenu came on here when we were VR football Jojo came on the show and, and her hot take was that uh, Lukaku I think she said she was one of the top five strikers in the world or something like that um, and at the time like he really wasn't considered that so fair play to Joe um, for having faith in him it now looks yeah like he could seriously come back to the Premier League this summer um, I was told last night that Chelsea are very seriously in discussions with him um, about coming back that Roman Abramovich is very much driving the deal he is he wants him back big time two calls been told that he could have at least two probably three serious players to add to his squad basically his first team for next season two calls intimated to Abramovich really that, that this isn't the end like winning the Champions League after four months in charge like this doesn't this isn't as good as it gets it probably sounds like it could be but he believes they can go on and have an attempt at you know creating something that's longer lasting than that and if they get Lukaku through the door then then that's a great step in the right direction because they want a number nine Giroud and Tammy Abraham are going to be leaving Harry Kane and Erling Haaland are very difficult to get in um, and only thing that really is going to stand in their way is, well, one, if Inter Milan somehow managed to convince Lukaku to stay, and it's not impossible because he he's really liked it there. But secondly, um, Man City are throwing a lot of money in Lukaku's direction as they look also for a new centre-forward. Um, so it's a very big choice for Lukaku, but a very nice one as well. He either stays at Italian champions Inter Milan he either joins Premier League champions, Manchester City, or he joins European champions, Chelsea. So if you're ever going to have a tough choice to make in life, that is the one. It's the kind of one you want, isn't it? Yeah. And, and there's nice narratives here everywhere, right? There's either this kind of rejoining the Chelsea, going back to the bridge narrative where, you know, he never really got his shot to be, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. And he was a, he's a yeah. fan of the club growing up as well. Or yeah. he crosses the Manchester divide after being scorned by one half of the fan base and and and, and kind of kicking off yeah. from there Which, and driving. Who does he want to prove wrong the most? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, look, there is there's plenty to plenty to accept and plenty to like about this. But you know what? Just big Rom doing well and having a good time is is always high up my things I love list yeah. because I love watching Big Rom do well. What guy? Um. And and yeah, I, I think this is going to be an interesting one, a tug of war that we're going to be keeping an eye on over the summer, DJ. So uh, <laughs> absolutely. So that won't be the last you hear of this i don't think um, and with that sam probably time to ask you for something you love yeah i want to talk about a game in particular and it's actually not going to be the champions league final i think we've uh, we've more or less digested that one i think everyone's sort of got their teeth into that so i'm going to move it on i watched an absolutely incredible game of football on monday night it was portugal versus italy in the under 21 european championship quarterfinals what a game this was Brilliant. absolutely incredible and i what i am going to do it's something I rarely do. I'm, I'm going to talk through it, like because it was absolute carnage, and I know that Dean hasn't seen it. So Dean doesn't know what's about to go down. Dean, buckle up, strap in, okay? <laughs> I'm going to watch the highlights while you're talking, so I don't have to listen. <laughs> okay, well I'll do the commentary. <laughs> I'm yeah. joking. You ready? I'm you ready? <laughs> Portugal took an early lead through Danny Motta, who scores an overhead kick in the sixth minute. Right? He then scores again after half an hour, rifling home in the aftermath of a corner. And to be honest with you, at this point, Italy had actually grown into the game to such a point that they were controlling basically every element of it, except for the really, really important bit, which is the scoreline, because mm. they were 2-0 down. But on the stroke right. of half time, they grab this horrible, messy goal and get back into it. The game then descends. It gets super, super scrappy. But there is one little beautiful moment that kind of rises above the rest. And it's Gonzalo Ramos when he pokes home a finish to make it 3-1. Everyone in my lounge, which was just me, says game over. 
the Italian national team manager says, not a chance. 90 seconds later, Davide Fratesi, who... What a game he had, by the way. Yeah. Excellent. And it's probably a name that people should remember. Tees up Gianluca Scamaccia, who taps home. Portugal then do something very strange because Portugal, the under-21 side, play a 4-4-2 diamond, which is really possession heavy and it is built on controlling a game with the ball. They start to make defensive substitutions. They start to bring on holding midfielders and start to retreat into a shell and try to try and protect a 3-2 lead in a tournament, which I think is a bit is a bit odd for a team that's built the way they are and with the players that they've got. So Italy respond in kind. They start subbing wingers on for wingbacks and bringing strikers on for central midfielders. And they push and they push. And it's Ricardo Sotil who slips down the left and crosses it in for Cutrone to level it in the 89th minute. Extra time beckons. The momentum is all in Italy's camp. So they do that whole huddle thing. You know, when the sides are uh, between full-time whistle and start of extra time, they sort of get into a huddle with the manager and they get they get all psyched up. Well, Italy, mm. they look pumped, right? They've got the momentum. They've got the late goal. They're heading into this one. They're looking good. Unfortunately, they're a little bit too pumped. One minute in, red card. Lovato leads with his elbow into an aerial challenge and gets a second yellow. And look, it's unfortunate, but ultimately this was Italy's sixth red card in the tournament. <laughs> They've played four games, six red cards in four games. It's absolutely outstanding work. And with the man advantage, Portugal then slipped back into that dominant groove. They start to play about with Italy, try to start to stretch them. And they score two like genuinely wonderful goals at the end. One is by Jota and the other one, I think, is by Conte Sal, uh, son of Son of Sergio. Was it Francisco, Jack? Francisco yeah, Chico, Conceição? Chico Conceição. Chico Conceição. Two wonderful players, by the way, to, to bring on and have a look. And a bit of redemption for Conceição as well, because he got slipped past for the equaliser for Italy to make it 3-3. It was a really yeah. feeble challenge. And this game obviously didn't go to penalties, which is usually the marker of an absolutely amazing contest, but finished 5-3 to Portugal's under-21s. Absolute madness. Every single player on that pitch was exhausted by the end of it. After the season they've all had to have to go through that, absolutely incredible. I thought, I thought with the culmination of the domestic season, with that Champions League final and, those, and the playoffs over the course of the weekend, that football excitement might die down for a week. Not a chance. Not with this going on, mate. Not with this going on. It was it was enjoy really enjoyable. Look, I mean, the Sotil square for the equaliser yeah. is the best thing he's done since smashing your sunglasses in New Jersey. So, um, <laughs> so, so there's that. Yeah, but it was it was it was just as accurate. To be fair, when I was like, "Oi, could you smash Sam's sunglasses?" and you went straight into your chest. I like, absolutely no bother about it. Um, so that was good. Uh, but yeah, no, it was such a good game. And look, France are out. This is everyone's anyone's games, right? It's anyone's tournament. Not anyone's um, tournament, mate. Portugal's tournament. It's Portugal's tournament, is it? Um, okay, well, they face but, Spain and and the might of Mark Cucurella, the least La Masia player to ever leave La Masia. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, yeah. I watched the Spain performance against Croatia. I watched, uh, watched as much as I, I could, probably about 60 minutes in total. When, uh, well, actually, no, more than that because he went to extra time, didn't it? Um, Jeremy Pino with one of the worst misses I've I've seen in a long, long time. Long time. He must he's be still, still celebrating. He's still, he's still drunk. Celebrating, yeah. He's, he's the youngest drunk. player ever to win the Europa League. You've got to give him a break. Yeah. Um, right, a couple of things from me on things that we love uh, before we run out. Um, one of them was Sergio Aguero being unveiled as a Barcelona player, which was absolutely delightful. Like, it, I've never seen something look so right. Like, from, like, it just looked perfect. He looked so happy. He's obviously, you know, in the in the Blaugrana stripes. Like, and it just felt like it felt right. 
and and I've got I've got a lot of time for that. So you know, just when things feel right, uh, Aguero looked just so pleased to be there, and uh, it made it made me very happy, very happy. Free free Aguero, free up my guy Aguero. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, so so there's that. Um, another thing that I love is the fact that Betis are currently linked uh, to both. Well, Juan Miranda, who's been there on loan, he looks like he's going to be released. Well, Barcelona are buying him out of his contract so that Betis can sign him for free, which is weird. I, I can only assume it must be linked to Emerson going the other way in reverse so that like, basically they have to pay less. So that's all I can think of. But I'm really pleased that Juan Miranda is going back to Betis on the left because the rumours are that Hector Bellerin could be Betis' right back next week. Now, this would be to Barcelona-raised, Betis-born, Betis fans playing on either fullback for, you know, on either flank for, for Betis. And so with, you know, Betis, Betis fans with La Masia links, that is something that I'm incredibly here for. Yeah, um, like that. That is a weird nice. thing, that Juan Miranda thing. The fact that I, I hadn't considered that it might be an Emerson sweetener. No, it has to. Um, I think it has although, to be. Wouldn't, it, wouldn't that just be fitting, given that the Emerson Royale deal is the most confusing deal in football history? Why not add in buying other players out of their contract to give them over for free in exchange to the pile? Why not make it even more complicated? You don't get that on Football Manager, let's put it that way. No, you don't. Um, and the final thing, and maybe the most important thing to just remind everyone of at this point, um, is that I am the end of season prediction goat. <laughs> like I, I just like to, to point out, over the last two weeks, I predicted that. Villarreal would win the Europa League, um, that Chelsea would win the Champions League. All seven of the bag predictions came in in the end. It might have been a little bit ropier than we'd hoped, but they all came in. Predicted that Chelsea and Liverpool would get into the top four in England. Predicted that Milan would beat Atalanta and get into the top four in Italy. Predicted that Lille would get over the line and predicted that Atleti would, Atleti would get it done. I'd just like to point out, that when it came to the end of the season, when it came to the close, when it came to the sharp end, your boy turned up. Um, and with that, we're going to mm. move on. <laughs> well, hang on. Before we move on, I just want to remind anyone who's not on Patreon that um, over there every week we run a prediction league. Um, this season it ended with Jack in bottom spot. So while he's going to rave about himself, I just want to remind everyone that um, it hasn't been a great year for him overall. What Dean, um, what Dean fails to mention here is that both of the Champions League and Europa League predictions, you know, each win, win good prediction every week is worth three points. Um, but if you predicted the winners of the Champions League and the Europa League correctly, they're worth 150 <laughs> points each. Um, <laughs> and with that, I've actually yeah. won the league by about 200 points. Don't so put, everyone, this is yeah. the, you're pulling an Albus Dumbledore on us here. This is the end of Harry Potter 1. Yeah, We're yeah, like, yeah, oh, hang on a minute. Yeah, uh, actually, on a minute. 150 points to you and to you. No, not interested in that at all. Literally 300 points to Gryffindor. And, and, and on that, Jack on Collins that, takes it home. On that note as well, by the way, uh, for those of you that aren't involved in the Patreon at the moment, we're going to be running uh, like a Euros Prediction League, uh, which is going to be partially organised by me, partially organised by one of our patrons, Yoel. So shout out to Yoel. Um, and we'll sort it out. A lot of the chat is on the Discord. So if you're a patron but not on Discord, get on that. And if you're not a patron at all but want to compete with the rest of us, then come and give Fair it enough. a go. Come mm. and give it a go. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's going to be it's a bargain, lot of fun. Mate. It's a bargain. It's going to be a lot of fun over during the Euros. Um, right, let's get on to Zach, shall we? Because we've got a lot to talk about. It's been a mad season, uh, and I think it's only time we bring him in. Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. 
Did you know this podcast is powered by Acast? Acast is the home of podcasting for creators looking for freedom to grow their listeners and make money too. And creative brands looking for smart ways to advertise. Podcasters and advertisers in the know know Acast. It's time you did too. Visit Acast.com to find out more. Acast for the stories. Welcome back to Ranks FC, and I'm delighted to tell you that we are bringing back an old friend of the podcast, Mr. Zach Lowy, co-creator of Breaking the Lines, and the man who is currently writing my favorite series in football journalism, full stop, writing, it's like a true crime thriller, Zach's writing a six-part series about Bernard Tapier's Marseille, and it is genuinely the best thing on the internet right now, so I'm delighted to have him back in the prime of his writing career, come back to, to do some ranking with us again, Zach, welcome back to the show, my friend friend. Thank you for the kind introduction, Zach. Uh, pleasure to be on the show again uh, with first time uh, being on the show as an independent project. And uh, <laughs> yep. you're excited because I always am interested to see what you're doing. Um, thank you so much for the kind praise on the Marseille series. Uh, we're going to p- be posting parts five and six, uh, the final two parts of this series this week, uh, as well as our Euros magazine, um, a 180 plus page uh, project and a digital magazine uh, on the Euros that I'm super excited for. So both of those things uh, coming this week to BTL, uh, definitely stay tuned and uh, be excited for both of them. You've been busy. That's a lot of pages. <laughs> a lot of pages, yeah. Fair play, fair play. Oh my God. A, I, love, I love this time of the year just before the... The, the summer tournament and everyone launches their guide and I go, right, got to read that one. Oh, got to read that one. Oh God. Turns out, it looks like I've got about 500 pages to read in the next three days, guys. Yeah, tuck in, Sam, because we're going to need you on a Euros preview next week. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take everything I learn and regurgitate all the best bits. But uh, before yeah. we do that, we need to close off officially the season that's just gone by. So I wanted to get Zach back on for his second appearance. I thought he'd be the perfect fit to close the season off. And we wanted to talk about the heroes of the season. So the good guys, the saviors in this dark time, in this darkest of seasons. So Zach, I've asked you to produce a list of five ranked from five to one on the heroes of the season. And I throw the floor to you for number five, my friend. All right. Sounds good. Um, Yeah. I thought a lot about this. Uh, it's hard to. Oh, we've been talking it about it for like three weeks. <laughs> I know. Narrowing it down to five was really tough. Um, starting off, just some honorable mentions. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Klechi Ianacho, who has played the best football of his career um, since March and just gone on a tear. Uh, Ryan Gold, who, despite not being able to keep French up in the top flight, has been fantastic and super unlucky, honestly, to not get called up uh, to Steve Clark's Scotland squad. Zach, um, but... you say unlucky, I say criminal. Criminal, Like, yeah. like absolutely criminal decision. It's just bizarre. Like, he's been one of the best players in Portugal, and to leave him out, it's just... Uh, for me, it shows that he hasn't really watched much of him at all at Ferenc. Um, as well Hard as... to get Portuguese football on Scottish TV, to be fair. Fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. Uh, I don't Kevin have the internet Bill. either, so... <laughs> Kevin Boland and Memphis Depay as well, coming off big injuries and doing very well at Ligue 1 um, for Monaco and Lyon, respectively. Uh, Romelu Lukaku, of course, having a phenomenal season at Inter and leading them to the Scudetto. Um, and finally, on the other side of Milan, Simon Kier, another player who has been super um, and really essential in the heart of defense 
for AC Milan and helping them get back into the Champions League. Uh, so I think all of those deserve an honourable mention. Uh, that's six honourable mentions for a top five, Zach. It's fantastic work. <laughs> this is the things we love to see. It's like there's just been lots of good people this year. We like to celebrate them all. We're giving out flowers all over the exactly. shop today. Give them their flowers. Let them <laughs> deserve their praise. Um, yeah. But anyways, number five, starting off with Ivan Tony. Uh, oh, oh, Zach. Yes. <laughs> Zach. <laughs> Coming off... <laughs> Coming off with a bit of a left field choice, uh, shall we say, but... Um, the Fulham the back- fans on this podcast are loving it. <laughs> you know, we don't talk about it because we're not allowed to. We're not allowed. To, so I've it, banned mate. everyone from talking about him because he's a Brentford player. <laughs> These two Fulham fans don't don't allow this, so... What? Yeah. But anyways, um, Tony, you know, coming through the ranks at an early age um, and eventually joining Newcastle... Um, and really didn't they the club didn't really have a plan for him just sort of loaned him out to a bunch of random EFL clubs um and it's really hard for any young player to to achieve that stability when you're being loaned out from one place to another uh but you know he eventually joined uh Peterborough United in League One for a very modest fee uh, did very well across his two seasons there um and even attracting interest from Celtic uh, as well as Brentford. Looked like he would join Celtic, but with Odson Edward uh, ending up staying, he ended up going to Brentford to replace Ollie Watkins, who uh, joined Aston Villa. So big shoes to fill uh, with Watkins leaving after uh, Brentford's disappointment in the promotion final to Fulham. Oh, yeah, we talk uh, about that a lot. Yeah, we, we, mention, we mention that one sometimes. That's the bit that we talk about, yeah. But now, uh, as as much as it pains me to say, Fulham are back in the championship and Brentford are in the top flight for the first time since 1947 because in large part to Ivan Tony, who has really helped um, uh, you know, uh, replace the, the departures of both Watkins and side Ben Rama. Um, I think that... I, I'm not sure if 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 Brentford wouldn't have gone up if Watkins had stayed for another season, but I do think that Tony offers a different profile. He's much more of a traditional center forward, um, and whereas Watkins would be more sometimes playing as a false winger, you know, drifting through the channels. I think that Tony is definitely more of a combative presence uh, and is is better at winning duels um, and and just offering that outlet. Uh, but apart from that, he's he's just a very complete center forward, capable of dropping deep, uh, help, helping in the buildup, um, and really such an efficient striker, um, not just in the penalty box, as we've seen with, with his uh, record from the spot. I believe he hasn't missed a penalty since, uh, I think, two and a half years or so. Um, and, but, but moving on to that, he's just a very efficient striker who uh, will typically score with his first touch, knows how to get into the right areas, um, and is, is above all is just a leader. So apart from the fact that he's, he's broken Glenn Murray's scoring record in the championship um, and just been absolutely fantastic, he really just has that presence of, of, of leading um, and, and providing that, I think, that, that leadership. Despite the fact that he's, he's still pretty young, um, I, I'm not sure if Brentford go up uh, if, if they didn't sign him, he's just been absolutely massive for them. And I do think that the, the fact that they've made it into the premier league now, um, 
I think that that will help him help them keep hold of Tony. I think he's the last player that they should be losing. Maybe they end up selling one or two players, but uh, I think that they will be able to to keep hold of Tony and stave off other offers. So he scored 33 goals this season 33. in the championship, and he got 10 assists as well. Jack always uh, yeah. basically tries to dethrone him and 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 poor Alexander Mitrovic got 31 last year, and how many scores does he score in the Premier League this season? No, I think it's more to do with the fact that Tony keeps scoring penalties and you basically don't count those as real goals. Um, you, do, you also don't count them as real goals. This is not just me. <laughs> no, but um, I don't talk about Ivan Tony in a bad way, but you do. Uh, but you're right, Zach, he's been, he's been unbelievable. And obviously the, 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 the driving force behind a Brentford return to the Premier League, not return, but top flight uh, since, my God, I, can't, I didn't know the stats. I didn't know it was... four years, yeah. Woo, yeah. that's a long time. Um, and he has this like... This arrogance, like this really, I don't know, it's a good arrogance. He's 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 full of belief in himself, for sure. The post-match interview after the playoff final was interesting. He was like, what was your reaction when you got the penalty, Ivan? He's like, couldn't wait to score. I was like, okay then, all right, this guy, this guy's pretty confident. And the way he takes penalties is amazing as well. Sort of tiptoes up to the ball, waits and, and pings it in the corner. So... Look, it's a very unpopular choice, Zach, with one <laughs> half of this podcast, but I'm on board with it. I'm on board with it. Spearheaded the team to promotion. I think you've yeah. got to you've got to respect what he's done, right? Like, as in no. much as it pains me. No. You, you, you've got to look at him and think, look, if you can score that many penalties, then yeah. if you played for Manchester United, you'd be absolutely exceptional. Um, yeah, to be and, fair, because of VAR, he's going to get even more pens next season, isn't he? So yeah, the Brentford have got a, like a 10% chance of staying up if they get enough penalties. He did say that he was going, basically, if Brentford didn't yeah. get promoted. He, he he did an interview, and I, I think, think he it was on... that before he scored a single goal for Brentford, and people thought that he was cocky. He's being realistic, like, he's that guy, you know? <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah, fair enough. I like him. Once he leaves Brentford, I think he's one of those people that I'll really like. When he's playing for Leicester and like the season after, I think it'll be really good. But um, for now, well, yeah, my Fulham, Fulham heart is saying, don't talk about this. There's um, there's an interesting one here, right? Because you, we, me and Sam have talked about Alexander Isak, um, at Real Sociedad quite a lot, and and we said that, that there's there's elements of his game that that kind of are that all-round striker, right? The fact that he is, yeah, traditional target man in some senses. He's able to hold the ball up. He's able to be the kind of physical presence. He's also happy to run the channels. He's happy to do these things. And there's elements of that to Tony as well, I think, that, you know, that, yes, he is that physical, combative presence, as you say, in the middle, Zach. Um, but he's also able to run the channels. He's quite mobile. He, you know, he, he does get in and around places. And, and I think we're seeing more and more of these strikers who are kind of able to do a bit of everything. It's the old number nine role, like combined with a little bit of what you'd imagine a wide forward does, combined a little bit with what a number ten does, and 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 as these players are starting to come through, there is this element of we ex we kind of expect from a forward, a modern forward, that they can do a bit of everything. Tony's actually played like two Premier League games, hasn't he? Yeah. Already, just like really like ages ago, like six years ago. He's right. actually technically already played in the Premier League. Oh, then he knows he knows it really well. They'll have no problems. Okay, Zach, what's the four? So number four, um, staying in London this time. I don't know if that gives away any 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 guesses, but gonna be Antonio Rudiger. Uh so Rudiger is a player who um you know I, I might be getting some heat for this because of his dirty foul on Kevin De Bruyne in the Champions League final. But he's really had kind of a roller coaster season. Um, looking back to the start of the season where he was pretty much frozen out 
uh, by Frank Lampard. Uh, and it seemed like Chelsea wanted to sell him with, I think, just, what, two years left on his contract and somewhat of an aging player. Um, looked like PSG with, with Thomas Tuchel there wanted to bring him in as well as Tottenham, uh, but neither move ended up materializing. He stayed, uh, and as such, um, Rudiger's start to the season under Lampard didn't go that well. Uh, and it, it did seem like even with Tomori, uh, Fikayo Tomori leaving to Milan um, in the January transfer, and there were rumors were, is he going to stay? Is, is he going to leave? But, uh, you know, in the final weeks of, of January, as we know, Lampard ended up getting sacked. Thomas Tuchel comes in to replace him. And uh, it's just been really a, a 180 for Rudiger, who's gone from uh, a player who had been left out of a lot of match day squads, but surprisingly actually, I think, played and, and started in Lampard's final two matches as manager. Um, and that was, I think, Lampard attributing that to wanting big personalities in the squad, which I think is, is what, apart from being, you know, a great defender, is, is what Rudiger brings, you know, his personality. Uh, yes, he might get into uh, a fight with with Kepa Ariza Balaga in the training ground and and get uh, left out of the next match, which, by the way, was uh, Chelsea's 5-2 loss at, against West Brom, if I remember correctly, um, without Rudiger. Um, and, but, but in general, Rudiger playing on that left side of the back three under Tuchel, he's just been absolutely massive. I, I don't think I'm exaggerating when I'm saying that he's been one of the best center backs in the Champions League this season. Um, you know, fantastic uh, in the Champions League final on Saturday against Manchester City. Probably even better across the two, two legs um, against Real Madrid, where he really didn't let Karim Benzema get any breathing room whatsoever. So really massive, both in terms of aerial and ground duels um, and just reading the game in terms of, you know, an anticipation, but also, you know, unlike other players such as Christensen, such as Aspilicueta, uh, he really isn't afraid to, to go forward uh, mm. with the ball, um, you know, allowing another player like Conte or Jorginho to move back and uh, protect the defense in, in shifting into that back three. And just moving forward and 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 progressing Chelsea's attack even further, um, been absolutely crucial. And I think that with Tuchel set to stay, uh, I, I definitely think that Rudiger will be rewarded with a long-term contract uh, in the coming months. I see you've gone from praising Brentford players to praising Chelsea players. Not a not a risk adverse strategy, shall we say? <laughs> not a great start for the two boys. Uh, I'd like to say sat alongside me, but they're not. But in this call, um, but Rudiger, I mean, I'm surprised you picked Rudiger out of a Chelsea player. You know, and maybe there's two Chelsea players on this if we don't know, and we'll, we'll see as the list transpires. But uh, it has been a 180 for him. You're right. I love the aggression that he shows, and in a back three that can kind of come out. Uh, he steps into midfield sometimes to to basically block off passes and to mark the strikers to kind of make the midfield two a midfield three temporarily. And then the three becomes a two and, and, it, and it goes back again. It's He's really mastered that role. It's a really difficult role to play as a centre-back, judging all of those things. He did it really well in the final as well. If you're wondering why, you know, Kevin De Bruyne had a quiet game, it's not just because Rudiger broke his cheekbone. It's because up until that point, he actually was stepping onto him really aggressively and making sure that ball didn't stick. So it is amazing that we've actually that we've actually got to that point. I did. I was looking back, so I got a, a little alert on my phone of a day uh, because I, uh, a podcast that I did in January for another 
Sorry, boys, for another podcast. <laughs> Occasionally it does happen. It, it, was, it was me talking about Fakayo Tomori's move to Milan. And I said it was, I was surprised, surprised that it happened. I think Tomori's got more of a long-term future at Chelsea than Antonio Rudiger. And that was, at the time, Lampard was in charge. And that was very true. It's very difficult, very easy, I should say, to, to forget that it was only four months ago that Rudiger was like not a footballer for Chelsea. And now he's one of the most important. To kind of take that even further, it wasn't just he wasn't a footballer for Chelsea. You know, the start of this season, he was being painted as a snake, as poison in the dressing room, as someone who had to get out of the club in order for it to, for Harmy to come through. Like he was being painted as like a bully within within Cobham, right? He was being painted as someone who was you know, ma- making nasty comments, who was who was kind of trying to stir the stir up antagonism within the camp. And I think I remember if there was a couple of posts from players who were like, this is my big brother. He'd never do anything like that. And I think it might have been Tammy Abraham who came out to defend him. And it's just such a weird flip from, you know, then to now. And especially you see online and obviously things get, you know, amplified in the social media echo chamber, right? That's, that's the world we live in now. So you, you see then suddenly Chelsea fans will be like, get this guy out, get this guy out because he's obviously ruining everything. And then suddenly he's, you know, Chelsea's best defender again. And he's been brought back into the fold. And maybe they're like, oh, He's not a snake in the camp. He's just someone who didn't want to play a certain way and, and therefore, you know, wasn't pleased about being left out because he believes he's a good enough defender. And over the last six months, I think he's shown that. Mm. Yeah. It's against Fulham as well. Do you remember? Like he was, he, Fulham kind of turned his career around at Chelsea as well. I'm not really enjoying this podcast today. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, um, Rudiger was on his way out. Um, he wanted to leave at the start of the season, to be honest, um, when Lampard wasn't picking him and he was, it was he was told he's not part of the plans. Um, and so January came around and he expected that he was going to be getting a transfer. And then he got a game against Fulham and I think maybe Leicester um, on the back of it. And he had two really good games. And then Tuchel was there. And then Tuchel was like, you were thinking of getting rid of this guy. Like, no, no, this guy's playing every game. Like this, this is one of my main guys. And yeah, he basically has started every game since that point. And he is, he's proven to be the player that we probably all thought and knew he was like, this is why Chelsea bought him, right? They, they, they shouldn't have been giving up on him at the start of the season because they're the ones that paid a reasonable amount of money to get him there in the first place and pay him quite well. And Zach, you're right. He will get a new contract. I mean, in, in fairness to uh, Lampard and, the Chelsea fans who wanted him sold. Um, these past few months have been more the exception rather than the rule for Rudiger. You know, throughout his time at Roma and Stuttgart um, and Chelsea, he has been kind of a hot and cold player. Uh, but what we're seeing now, I think, is definitely more of a turnaround than, you know, other Chelsea players that I had considered for this list, such as Espilicueta, Christensen, uh, Havertz. Um, I just think that to go from you know, on the verge of, of a, an exit, both in the summer and, and January transfer windows. Um, and I think even missing out on the, uh, on the match day squad in four of the first five games of the season to just putting in massive performances against likes of Real Madrid um, and, and Manchester City. It's been an unbelievable turnaround for him. Uh, and I definitely think he'll have a big role to play for Germany uh, in the upcoming Euros in defense. Excellent. Lovely. Let's all move on to number three then, I reckon. Maybe this one won't be from a rival club in West London. Yeah, is this QPR player? <laughs> yeah, thinking of going for a QPR or West Lind- Ham Linden Dykes coming yeah. in next. So. <laughs> or a Millwall player. Um, <laughs> no, I'm actually going to go to Madrid for this one, uh, to the red and white side. 
um, and going with Marcos Llorente. Yeah. Um, a player who, you know, might be a bit low considering the fact that he's uh, been one of the best players in Europe this season. Uh, but, you know, just a fantastic campaign for him. Um, Marcos Llorente, obviously starting off at, in Real Madrid's academy, uh, had a brief loan spell at Deportivo Alaves, um, but didn't really get much in the way of playing time in the Real Madrid first team. Um, and with, you know, obviously Tony Cruz, Casemiro, and Luka Modric with um, and that unshakable hold on midfield, as well as Federico Valverde coming through the ranks, uh, Zinedine Zidane had no issue with letting him go to their rivals for, I believe it was 35 million euros, which pretty considerable sum for a player who I believe only had one year left on his contract. Um, it was and- a fair bit. And he was at the, at the point, he was a backup defensive midfielder, right? which has obviously changed now, which I'm sure you'll get to. But at the, at the time, he was a backup holding mid. That's what he was. It, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that Real Madrid, one of their biggest squad defects right now is lack of a whole, of a backup holding midfielder to Casemiro, which may or may not be rectified with the emergence of Antonio Blanco in the coming years. We'll, we'll see about that. But uh, yeah, he was a backup defensive midfielder and, you know, didn't really do that much in his first few uh, months at in, in Atletico. Um, obviously, plenty of competition with the likes of Coque and Thomas Partey. But we saw, you know, kind of in around February, March of 2020, right before uh, the COVID-19 pandemic hit, uh, Llorente kind of starting to emerge in not so much a defensive midfield, but more of a a wide midfield role um, on the right flank and uh, putting in a big game against Valencia. And then, of course, the game that really changed his entire life, you know, playing against Liverpool in the second leg. Um, at Anfield and bagging a brace as well as an assist uh, to knock out the defending um, uh, Champions League winners as well as the soon-to-be Premier League champions. Uh, Just an incredible game from him. Um, And I think that that really helped just transform his career and and transform the way that Diego Simeone thought of him as a player. Um, and I think that, you know, during the pandemic, he, he clearly worked on his ability. You know, he worked on becoming a better athlete, but also a better footballer and a better striker. Um, and that really paved the way for what we've seen in the, in, in this season. Um, one of the few players in Europe's top five leagues who has hit double figures with, for goals and assists, I believe there's only... I think there's less than 10 players who have done that, and Llorente is one of them. A player who was, you know, considered a decent but not fantastic defensive midfielder just a few years back, now playing kind of as a um, a wide midfielder, but but also sometimes being used as a second striker. Just a really unique role, honestly. Um, and, you know, Luis Suarez has obviously been massive for Atletico in, in breaking their title drought uh, and winning the La Liga trophy after uh, seven years, but Llorente's ability and, and presence in the final third, um, I think has been just as, if not more important than Suarez's, Suarez's emergence. Um, and I think that on the other side of things, we also saw how much Atletico missed his presence when when Kieran Trippier was banned um, and, and Llorente was kind of shifted into a right wing back role um, and Atletico sort, sort of missing that. And, and as such, their uh, gap 
on Real Madrid and Barcelona was uh, shrunk to just a few points. Um, still ended up winning the league, but I, I do think that should be a cautionary tale for Luis Enrique, who looked kind of like he wanted to try using him as a right back um, in March's World Cup qualifiers. I think that in order for uh, for whatever coach, whether it be Lucho or Simeone, to get the most out of Llorente, you need to use him closer to the final third, you know, with with the ability to start from deep and and uh, make those runs into the box because he's just been absolutely fantastic. Um, and he really isn't just like a one trick pony. And, you know, a lot of these players, they might have a, a trademark move. Llorente is a player who can really find, carve out a goal scoring opportunity out of, you know, whatever, you know, he can be playing a one, two pass. He can be dribbling past two or three players. Uh, he can really do whatever, but it's just f- fantastic to see this. Um, we've seen so many players such as, you know, Bastian Schweinsteiger or, or Philip Lahm go through, or Steven Gerrard go through this transformation from one, one position that, you know, they seem to be shoehorned in um, and just completely uh, impressing in another position. I think we're seeing that with Llorente because he's been just fantastic. Um, and I think that uh, definitely one of the players, probably the player who's benefited the most from the Euros being postponed um, another year because he's going to be absolutely massive for La Roja this summer. Yeah, I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on this because, I mean, Cesar Pilaqueta is obviously the, the only recognized right back in, in that Spain squad. And I mean, that's if you consider Cesar Pilaqueta a, a right back, which I don't <laughs> think many people do at this stage, right? So so when you look at what, what this team is, especially then you look at the depth in midfield, you look at, you know, Thiago, Rodri, Fabian Ruiz, you know, as, as a, just a straight up three. And then even the Busquets, likes of Pedri, Busquets, uh, Koke, you know, this is this is a seriously, seriously deep midfield. Now, I'm not saying Marcus Llorente shouldn't start in there because I think he's been absolutely world class. But when you do look at this side and you think what what Lucho is obviously doing is looking at that and going, how do I get Llorente into this team when I have so much depth in centre midfield that I could play my second string centre midfield and no one would no one would bat an eyelid about it. So is this him going as a right back because it's like the only way that they, they stick him into midfield with the depth that they have in there? Spain aren't particularly deep anywhere apart from in centre midfield where they have every yeah. every brilliant centre midfielder under the sun, it appears. <laughs> so, so, so I guess that would be my question. Like... Does he play right back here for Spain? One, because it's a different role to what he was doing, you know, under Simeone at Atleti. But also because it's his best chance of starting games for 90 minutes for Spain. Because you look at that midfield and you think, much as I love Llorente, I don't think he starts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just a side note, I think Lucho, as much as I love him, his decision to go with only 24 players instead of 23 or 26, it just kind of boggles my mind. Like, it's bizarre. It's really weird. Like, what's, what's the point, you know? Yeah. Um, Could pick out the right back if you wanted to. But Yeah, yeah Jesus Navas. What, he's had a great season for Sevilla. Like, how can you not call him up? Um, just bizarre. But I do think that off the back of his great end of the season, Aspilicueta is going to be a starter, maybe even a captain, given the fact that uh, Sergio Ramos is, is not going to the Euros. Um, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised to see him wear the armband. And yeah, it's, it's difficult to see how do you fit Llorente into the Spain team. Um, as you mentioned, I don't think he gets into the midfield, given the fact of how much quality they have. Thiago, Fabian, uh, Busquets, Pedri, um, so much quality in the center of the pitch. Uh, I think that his best bet, 
will perhaps be on the right flank. It's right um, wing. He's getting in on the right wing, boys. Yeah. Like, I'm just not sure how to fit him in, though, because it's like, it's it's hard to find a balanced attack, I think. Um, I would personally go with Llorente on the right uh, over Ferran Torres, as, as good as he has been in Spain's recent matches. I just think that Llorente has been arguably the player of the season in La Liga, one of the best players, um, not just in Spain, but in Europe. And I, I think he's too good to leave out of the starting lineup. Um, but, you know, even if he's coming off the bench, he'll still be very important for them. Um, but, yeah, I think it's probably between him and Ferran for the right wing. Uh, center forward, I think that Lucho goes with Morata, but I would personally go with Gerard Moreno. I know Sam will be in agreement. Um, well, Jack, just- Jack here is the official leader of Jack, the Gerard Jack Moreno as well. the fan well. club. Uh, exactly. But I, I agree with you. I mean, I would imagine it's going to be Morata and I think it's going to be Llorente on the right. And I would imagine it's going to be Danny Olmo on the left. Yeah, um, and I and I, the reasons I think this are, well, first of all, Llorente de like fits in on the right. But you need, you like the centre midfield, the, the, the midfielders that, that Jack has just kind of laid out, as good as they are, there are not that many goals in that midfield, right? Yeah. So Spain need to find goal scorers and goals from somewhere in this team. Olmo is going to be the second most important goal threat in this team. Uh, behind the centre forward, whoever is picked, and Marcos Llorente then de facto becomes the third, and that's right. why you have to get him on the pitch because if you're playing, if you're playing Ferran or you're playing Adama Traore or you're playing Sarabia yeah. on the right, you've only got two goal scorers in your entire eleven. That won't wash. You need you need the you need the triple threat. Yeah, yeah. agreed. And, agreed. And Diago Aspa sitting home at, on his couch in Vigo. Oh, I would have I would have brought Joaquin as well for the crack. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, but who but who wouldn't? Um, right, with that, it's probably time to move on to number two, Zach. Yeah. Shame about Aspas and Joaquin. But yeah. Anyways, number two. Um going to the uh going to Lisbon, actually. Um I see a familiar shirt on Jack Collins as well, <laughs> which we're gonna go with um the green and white side of Lisbon this time um and there are a lot of options from this sporting team that won their first league title in 19 years Pedro Gonçalves top goal scorer in Portugal as well as recent call-up for the Portuguese national team Joao Paulinha absolutely massive alongside Joao Mario in the center of midfield um so many options but I'm gonna go with uh, a player who, for me, has been the best player in Portugal this season, and his name is Sebastian Coates. Yes, uh, <laughs> yes. Um, so Sebastian Coates, uh, you know, coming through Uruguay uh, at a young age with Nacional, um, doing very well, and uh, eventually breaking through in the 2011 Copa America. Um, God, yeah. a lot- alongside that's oh my god time. i forgot about that liverpool signed him off that didn't they you feel very old from that right <laughs> <laughs> um coming through and you know playing alongside diego lugano in that rock solid uh uruguay defense and and eventually you know winning the tournament um prompting liverpool to fork out a hefty sum for a player who i believe was 20 21 at that point very young um but a bit similar to tony um, in that the club just didn't really have a plan for him. Um, and he just didn't get much game time with, I believe, uh, I think Kenny Dalgish was the manager at the time. Um, and, and, you know, eventually ended up going to Sunderland, which didn't work out that well either. 
um, and you know, it seems kind of to be like you know just a, another South American talent who just wasn't cut out for Premier League football. Um, eventually went to Sporting, and you know had somewhat of a hot and cold time there to to start off uh, playing a lot, um, coming close to the league title in 2016, but. You know, in general, as good as he was in certain matches, he was very much a hot and cold player, uh, had a reputation for own goals and lapses in concentration and red yeah, cards. Yeah, exactly. Honestly, and, Premier League memories of Semi Cuartes yeah. are not, they're not good ones. They're not good. Like, like anyone who hasn't been paying attention to the green and white of, of Lisbon this, this season will be very surprised to hear Sebastian Cuartes being praised. I mean, I know he's been great, but like... Yeah. This country does not know that Seb Cuartes is a good footballer. <laughs> they may have even forgotten about him. Um, <laughs> but Coates, so I think that 2020 was really the year that changed everything for him. Um, because in January, Bruno Fernandes obviously left to Manchester United, um, paving the way for Coates to take the armband um, and become the captain. Then a few weeks later, Huben Amorim becomes the manager of Sporting um, and after the pandemic, after during the restart of football, um, he sort of institutes a three at the back system, um, which, you know, eventually uh, would see Coates playing in the center of the back three alongside uh, the teenager Gonzalo Inacio, as well as uh, Betis, ex-Betis defender Zuhair Fedal. And guy. he's been superb in the heart of defense. Um, you know, Sporting, as good as their attack has been at times, they won this title because of their defense. I believe the best defense, uh, the fewest goals conceded in Europe's top 10 leagues, uh, despite conceding like four goals to Benfica in the penultimate match day. I think that they still have the best defense in Europe's top 10 leagues. And that's thanks in large part to Coates, who, you know, the back three has been uh, like... I would say very similar to what it has, what it was with Antonio Conte um, and David Luis in, in masking his, you know, his deficiencies, um, his lack of pace, and just getting the most out of him, uh, his ability to, you know, win duels in the air and uh, read the game and just constantly provide that leadership um, and veteran presence in a fairly young sporting side. Uh, just been absolutely massive on both ends of the pitch, not just in in protecting this defense, but chipping in some fantastic goals, um, late goals against the likes of uh, Bailey Nainch. Um, in fact, one perhaps the, the biggest moment uh, that came for him was after his childhood friend, uh, Santiago Garcia, committed suicide. Um, he, you know, obviously a very tough time for Coates, and just a few days later, he ended up scoring a late brace in the final 10 minutes against yeah, Gil Vicente. Gil Vicente. Yeah. Gil Vicente, right. To lead Sporting to victory. Um, so been absolutely massive for a sporting side that often hasn't really had that attacking talisman. Um, Coates has stepped up to the task with some massive goals. Uh, so just been fantastic. And, you know, as crazy as it is to say for, for a country that has likes of Josema Jimenez and um, Diego Godin. I think he's been the best Uruguayan defender uh, in in football and, you know, in this season. And, 
if if Oscar Tabares wants to base his selection on form, I, I think he should be starting for them this summer in the Copa. Yeah, I, I think it's a really interesting point. And, and I wanted to kind of double down on what you were saying. Like, you know, obviously the, the Givicente brace, 83rd minute, 90th minute. But he's done this numerous yeah. times for Sporting this season. When they've needed someone to bail them out of trouble, you know, he scored a 93rd minute winner against Santa Clara a couple of a couple of weeks back. I remember he scored the first goal as they were 2-0 down to Belenange and it ended up with the Giovanni Cabral penalty coming through. And it was it wasn't just that he scored, you know, he scored five goals. It's not huge amounts this season, although it's not bad for a centre back. But it was the nature of those goals. Now almost all of them were late goals to drag sporting back into a contest or give them a late win against someone. And, and it did really matter. And there were moments where, you know, we spoke about it. The fact that sporting were like a good, they had a good healthy lead at the top of the Pineda. And then, and then suddenly it looked a little bit like they might be dragged in and they, you know, they, they dropped points twice in a row against Moynihan Eng and, uh, and Family Cow, and then they beat for Eng, And then suddenly they were losing two nil to Bell and Eng with, with, with kind of 10 minutes to go. And it's Sebi Coates who comes up and, and drags them back into that game when it really did look like they might throw away what was such a commanding position. It's just been a real leader. And I think that it's nice. And it's a real like moment for him to have been that guy. And I thought it was a little bit harsh. And I know Jarl Pereira come back in and he was playing right wing back. He's 37 years old. He's a club legend. He yeah. got the armband back for the last two games. But I thought it was harsh because Quach has been their leader this season. And he has been the guy that they've turned to when the night was darkest in some ways. And I think that, you know, for him to to have that armband as they got over the line would have been would have been something quite special. But, you know, it is what it is. I'm here for all of it. First title in 19 years. Like, <laughs> unbelievable. Just incredible. Anyone who had a formative role in that is a hero. Yeah, and Absolutely. I think Quartz is that good of a teammate that he, he doesn't have any issue with. Yeah, he was just like, fine, you go. You, yeah. You'll go. You have a crack at it and see what happens. Um, right, I, I want to I know who's above him, mate. I well, want to know who's well, above him. Hang on, because like I had a little list written down, right, of like my heroes, <laughs> and I thought I had a pretty strong list. And there is uh, three players on this like absolute top tier that Zach hasn't mentioned. And if my, if my counting's correct, there's only one spot left. There is only one spot left. Oh, here it is. Go on, Zach, we'll do you and then we'll come back to Sam's. So um, my number one pick, drum roll, is Burak Yilmaz. <laughs> yes. What a okay, guy. fine. Papa. We can take that. We call him Papa here. Papa Yilmaz. Uh, yeah, pa- Papa um, you know, was considering uh, Alphonse Arloa as Harrison, as well as Harrison Reed, to make up the full <laughs> disrespect, but but um, ended up going with a player in France. So Burak Yilmaz, I think, um, up until he was 31 years of age or something, was was had only played in Turkey, uh, and you know, eventually had a brief spell at. Uh, in Beijing, went back to Turkey uh, for some spells at Trabzonspor and, and Besiktas. I think only actually one of two players alongside Sergen Yalsin to play for each of Turkey's big four clubs, um, Galatasaray, Fenerbahce, uh, Trabzonspor and Besiktas. Um, and, you know, one of those players who I think, you know, alongside Artem Zyuba maybe, who, who you always wondered, what if he had joined a top five league? You know, how would he do? Um, and this season, we finally got our answer. So Burak Yilmaz joining Lille um, in a deal which was kind of went under the radar. Um, and it, at the time, it didn't even look like he was 
the replacement uh, for the departing Victor Osimen, who, who would join Napoli for a record fee. Um, looked like more of a replacement for Loic Remy, um, just kind of kind of a, a, a veteran who would provide a solid uh, presence and you know a backup role um, in the dressing room. Bit weird for a Lille team that has mainly gone with young players, um, but you know first year ever in a top five European league, and he has just been fantastic. Uh, for my money, the best player in league un this season, uh, just superb in the front of attack in Christoph Galtier's 4-4-2. Um, you know, the first part of the season saw Jonathan David really struggling to adapt uh, to life in Ligue 1. Eventually, he turned things around. Uh, but it was actually Yilmaz, the 35-year-old who had arrived on a free transfer, who was leading the line and grabbing these crucial goals. And uh, we saw, even, even with David's form improving, we saw how much uh, his absence impacted them when, when he was missing some time due to injury. Uh, but he ended up coming back uh, for Leo and leading them in one of the most breathtaking title races in Europe's top five leagues in recent years, scoring some absolutely massive goals, um, including a brace against um, Lyon, which was just one of the biggest deciders for this Lille team um, who, you know, often struggled to find that answer in front of compact defense defenses and uh, a lot of questions asked of their attack. And really time and time again, Yilmaz answered those. Um, and we saw that even, even in the penultimate match today against Sanatian, where they could have put this title race to bed um, and avoided the final day pressure, uh, Lille ended up going with a stalemate against Sanatian. And, and after we saw Yilmaz saying to his teammates, you know, calm down, we'll, we'll win it. We will win it. The next, the next match against uh, against Angers, you know, he was providing that calming presence and and you know assuring them, you know, it's okay, we we didn't get it this time, but we will next weekend, and that's exactly what happened. Lille end up beating Angers um, and winning their first league title in ten years. Um, for me, the biggest upset achievement since Leicester's uh, Premier League tr triumph. I know that's a lot. Uh, that's, that's hefty praise, but you have to consider the fact that despite the fact that PSG had a down year, they still have, you know, likes of Marco Verratti, Kylian Mbappe, Neymar, and Mauricio Pochettino, who has, isn't that bad of a coach either, um, to go up against this PSG team and defeat them. It, it's, it's absolutely incredible, especially given what uh, Lille have been through as a club with all the financial turmoil, Luis Campos uh, leaving midway through the season. Um, it's just a phenomenal achievement, and they wouldn't have done it without Burak Yilmaz. Uh, so that's why I'm giving the number one spot to Burak. Yeah, I, I don't think you're going to get too much argument here, Zach. We're, uh, <laughs> we're, we're all pretty much in agreement that this man has been sensational this season. And I think you look at the numbers, right? 16 goals in 28 league on games is is remarkable in itself, right? It's remarkable yeah. in itself. It's an incredible strike rate. But you add that just the kind of leadership, the the presence he had within this team, some of the goals he scored. You know, it was you were looking at these and going, "Whoa!" Like you know, the, the, the second goal against Leon. 
as you say, was just remarkable. Like to have the you know composure and capacity to do that at such a crucial juncture in the season. You know, and you're you're chasing the game, you're chasing the league title, and you're like, oh yeah, it's fine. I'll just do that. And everyone's like, right, okay, this guy's the real deal. And and look, that relationship obviously with Yusuf Yazici as well has has been incredible to watch that develop. You know, the kind of old master and the young gun coming through together and. You know, I just, I just think it's been, you know, delightful watching Yilmaz this season, and I think this is a very, very well earned, hard earned number one spot. It is. It's, uh, it's, it's well deserved. I'm glad you, uh, I'm glad you went for it, Zach. I'm glad you went for, for uh, the, the storylines of of, of Quartes and and Yilmaz, and and in my opinion, anyway, appraise them appropriately with the with the number one and number two. That there's a common theme between them. They're both um, not spring chickens. Uh, they've both had some tumultuous times in their careers and they've come through in their, their kind of mid thirties and played a formative role, a, a leading role, a crucial role in a title win for two clubs that you basically just didn't really think was possible um, until it actually happened. And, and here we are. Um, the two players, so my little cluster of three names, the two players that I was like, ah, I wonder if he'll put these guys in. N'Golo Kante um, and Marcus Rashford. It was N'Golo Kante and uh, Yuri Tielemon ah, uh, for the FA, for the FA Cup goal. Um, just because it, but I, I can under, I can definitely understand um, Tielemon's dropping out of the list eventually. I, I would put Kante in my list. Kante's going to win the Ballon d'Or instead, so it's fine. He'll be okay. <laughs> it's going to be absolutely grand. Not if, not if Yilmaz has anything to say about it. <laughs> <laughs> I would have I would have had Marcus Rashford in here for his off the field antics, but um, uh, of course, yes. But I think that, that that's probably one that we could we could address another time. Slash have yeah. address at various points over the course of the year. It's a good point, though, isn't it? What if Yilmaz wins the wins the Euros for Turkey? If Turkey win the Euros, give give Yilmaz the Ballon d'Or for the crown. Well, he should retire yeah. as well if he wins the Euros as well. On the back of this, <laughs> he it's should, time he to should go. leave. He should leave Lille this summer. This is the only season he's ever played inside Europe's top five leagues. Age thirty four, steps in, leaves a title winner at thirty five. He should just go. Complete mm. it, mate. Yeah, yeah. completed football um, excellent yeah. right well Zach thank you so much for that list it's been a it's been a real pleasure having you back on and a, and a real pleasure listening to it it's been uh, some some real names in there that I love there were some names I obviously loved less I'm going to be honest with you but <laughs> but that top two I, I thought it, as good as it gets get quartz and and your mats in there I was uh, over the moon happy so uh, thank you so much for for being on ranks FC Zach thank you so much for having me it's a pleasure um, and I hope to come on later uh, this year. Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. Uh, we're just for the listeners, where can they find you ahead of all of the uh, the big Euro drop and, of course, part five and six of that wonderful series? <laughs> yeah, you can find me on Zach Lowy on Twitter, Z-A-C-H-L-O-W-Y, as well as BTL Vid. Um, check out BreakingLines.com for some really good Euros content, especially our digital magazine that's coming up with uh, loaded with 180 plus pages of content. Um, you'll be able to find that this week as well as parts five and six of my series on Bernard Tapier's Marseille. Well, thank you so much to Zach for joining us. Uh, it's always a pleasure to have him on. And if you haven't read that series about Bernard Tapier, like, I, I genuinely can't recommend it enough. It's it's genuinely like a true crime thriller in a six-part football series. It is world-class writing on an incredibly interesting subject. Um, but this week, we are going to call things there. We're giving Dean a rest from melons over the course of the international summer. We're going to give Sam a one-week, maybe, break from uh, from gibberish, just to like give him a little little bit of a, a, a pep 
before the Euros start because I think there's going to be lots to talk about. Uh, and so that all's left for me to do is say thank you very much to Sam Tai. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much to Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. I've been Jack Collins. This has been Ranks FC. We will see you next week for our Mega European Championships preview podcast. We're going to be looking at all the groups in depth, some dark horses, players to watch. You know the drill. And, of course, ranking all those elements. We'll see you next week, gang. Take it easy. Peace. Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill, it's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. 